the Christian resolution. We're going to be in the book of Lamentations uh, in chapter 3. And uh, for you guys, did you guys make any New Year's resolutions? I made, a, I made one. Uh, I, I, I usually make it every year, and about two weeks into January, I break it. Uh, but I'm attempting, and I think it's going to stick this time because I got some accountability, got some people doing it with me, but I'm going to try to start eating healthier, okay? Because obviously I need to a little bit, okay? Uh, and that's going to be my little, little resolution. Mark, you have, you, have, you have one, dude? Do it. What is it? Yeah, obey your parents and have more patience. You were here last, last week, huh? You heard that message, convicted your heart, word of God. Awesome. Any other, any other resolutions? No? No, that's it? So eating healthy and obey your parents and be patient. You could steal those too. Yeah. You have one? Are you just thinking of it right now? Trying to do better at school. All right, that, that's a good resolution too. It's kind of funny when you bring up this topic of New Year's resolutions, some people like love them and they're like, oh yeah, I do one every year. And then they break it the next day, right? And then some people, they like actually stick with it. But I've noticed other people, when you bring up this topic, some people are like super against it. They're like, no, I'm not gonna make a resolution because I'm just gonna break it a week later. And they're like really against it. But I think biblically, like making a resolution uh, is a good thing. Uh, it's actually a biblical thing. Uh, if you don't know what the word resolution means, let me give you the definition. Okay, this is Mr. Webster's Dictionary. Uh, it means to have a fixed purpose or determination of mind. Doesn't that almost sound like a Bible word? At least when I look at the definition, you're like, is this in the Bible? Well, there's a lot of concepts uh, like this that are in the Bible. You see, I think it's good. I think a resolution uh, for you and I shouldn't just be something that we do once a year, I think it should be something monthly, uh, something maybe even weekly that these new commitments, right? These renewed uh, devotion to the Lord. I think that's a good thing. It doesn't always have to be, you know, okay, I'm going to hit the gym or whatever like that. But, but things, I, even sometimes I find myself daily making what you could say resolutions of like, okay, I wake up, I need to follow the Lord today. That's a, that's a determination, right? That's a fixed purpose. And I think it's a good thing. Now, you and I, we don't, we don't know what 2021 might bring. Hey, we knew what 2020 is. We can look back. It's hindsight, right? It's, we can look back and think about uh, the difficulties, the good, the bad, and the ugly of 2020. But we don't know what 2021 is going to look like. We don't know what the next five to 10 years is going to look like. But I want to submit to all of us today uh, that we should resolve to do something. I think as a Christian, we should have a resolution, and that's what we're going to be looking at today, that we make a resolution to recall to our mind, to remember how loving and compassionate God is to us, to realize that every morning this year, if you're a Christian, in the Lord, it is a new one, to recognize how faithful God has been and to call him ours no matter what may come. And so we're gonna be looking at kind of that uh, idea, this Christian resolution. Uh, but we're gonna be in the book of Lamentations. Raise your hand if you've never heard of Lamentations until I just said that today. I know you guys are lying because I know there's a lot more that you've never heard of this book. This is a very unique book in scripture. Uh, it is written by someone, does anyone know who? Anyone have any guess? Who, who, who wrote Lamentations? Yeah. Nope, not Moses. Someone guessed that exact thing last service. It's because Moses wrote a lot, huh? Yeah. 
No, no, there was never, there was not a guy named like Lament, and so they named it Lamentations, okay? It's different, <laughs> different than the New Testament. Yeah, Jeremiah. Jeremiah, boom, good job, Daniel. Jeremiah is the author of um, the book of Lamentations. Do we have any Jeremiahs in the house? Yeah, your name's Jeremiah? Woo-woo, everyone give Jeremiah a round of applause. That's awesome, all right. Okay, but this Jeremiah is the author of two books of the Old Testament. Anyone know the first one? Jeremiah. And the second one is Lamentations. Now, Lamentations comes after the book of Jeremiah. Now, if you know anything about the prophet Jeremiah, uh, he has a very difficult story that Jeremiah had an extremely hard ministry. God had given this prophet a message of wrath and judgment upon the nation Israel. Uh, He was a heartbroken prophet with a heartbreaking message that God had told him to go to the people and tell them that if they don't repent, then wrath and judgment is going to come in the form of a nation taking them over and taking them captive. And as a result of Jeremiah's faithfulness to preach God's message, he was hated for it. He was persecuted for it. He was beat for it, imprisoned for it, simply for relaying the message of God to them. But at the time, Israel was an extremely stubborn and rebellious people. And so for 40 years, he preached and not one person listened, that the whole nation was against him, though he was God's divine uh, prophet. And as we come to Lamentations, this is the book directly after the book of Jeremiah. And it is probably the saddest book in the entire Bible that the a large portion of it, there's five chapters and except for a handful of verses, it is dark, it is dreary, it is drab, it is, it is sad as you read this. And you might say, well, why are we, why are we reading this? There, there's a point, okay? It's called the book of Lamentations. Anyone know what the word to, uh, to lament means? Daniel. To be sad, it means to mourn or to cry loudly. That this book is literally about weeping. This book is about mourning. This book is about being sad. Why? Well, because think about it. Jeremiah, this is 40 years after he's been preaching the word and they haven't listened. So guess what's coming? It's God's wrath. And God's wrath is coming through the nation of Babylon, going to come and conquer them, going to take them captive. And so Lamentations is a book that Jeremiah writes as he's seeing his city destroy. He's seeing his family and his friends and his own people being carried away from their nation. And he begins to write uh, about that. You see, Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet that as we get into Lamentations, there's five chapters. We're only going to be looking at chapter three and a handful of verses, but each chapter is a different sad song, or they're known as elegies. Uh, You can look up what that means later, but each chapter is a sad song. But what we're going to look at today is the glimmer of hope in the midst of chapter three. Have you guys ever seen stars before? Stars like, and notice stars are, you see them when the sky is, is black, right? You, you see them when, when the sky is black because that's when you can best see them. You see with a black background, the stars are able to have a beauty and a brilliance to them, right? Stars are very bright, but against the black night sky, they become even brighter. Or what about, have you ever gone to a jewelry shop? 
Maybe you've looked at your mom's diamond before. Well, when you go into a jewelry store, I don't know why it said it like that, a jewelry store. Uh, when you go there, they're going to have big, bright lights. They're going to have black fart, uh, black fart, oh my gosh, black felt, okay, not farts. Uh, they might have farts there too, depending on who's in there. But black felt, they have that. And then on top of the black felt, they have diamonds. Why? Because the black background shows the brilliance and the beauty of the diamond, Okay. Does that make sense? Well, in a similar fashion, what we're going to see today is a very dark background, but because of the dark background, God and his light is able to shine even brighter. And I believe that in life, the same can be true, that in the difficult, most difficult years, months, and days of our life, that is when God's light is able to shine the brightest. You know what I'm saying? Well, today's message, guys, I think for some of you, uh, you might be in that dark moment of your life. Maybe it's a season or maybe it's just today you woke up on the wrong side of the bed or whatever it might be. Maybe there's difficulty at home or difficulty in your life, whatever it may be. I believe God wants to speak into the direct situation of your life. For others, you might uh, say, no, like things are good. I have no, no, no difficulties. Right, right now is not a trial season. Well, they will come, right? Jesus said, you will have tribulation. It's not a may, it's a will. It, you, it will happen. You will have seasons of difficulty. Well, we need to remember Lamentations 3, as random as it may seem. Uh, it is the scripture, and it is scripture for our hope and for our benefit in difficult times. Okay? Make sense? All right, let's pray. Lord, we love you. We, we love that you are the God of all light and life and truth, that in you is no darkness at all. Lord, that as we think about who you are in contrast with the darkness and evil of this world, of which we have seen so clearly in this last year, Lord, you shine bright. And Lord, we know that you have called us to be the light of the world Lord, but we have, to, uh, we have to reflect you. We have to have your light first. And Lord, we thank you for the, the living hope that we have in Jesus. Lord, that when things look dark, you shine bright. We love you, God, and pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So first we're going to look at verses 1 through 18, but we're not going to read them. Okay, for the sake of time, uh, if you notice the first slide, we're going to focus on verses 19 through 24. But I believe as the setup, uh, looking at verses 1 through 18 and summarizing them is very important for our learning. Uh, these first 18 verses give the backdrop so that the verses, the prize verses that we're going to look at shine bright and, and we can understand the context. Okay, does that make sense? So the first two chapters of Lamentations, right? We're in chapter three, but there's two that came before that. Uh, they are Jeremiah describing the desolation, the destruction of the city of Jerusalem. He's describing the scene of, of how this nation, evil nation of Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar, they, they come into the land of Israel and to Jerusalem, which was once an exalted city above all cities, is now brought to ruins that it's burned with fire, that the people are taken captive, that was once a glorious city is now in ruins. But then he gets to chapter three. In chapter three, in these first 18 verses, he takes a turn from describing what has happened to describing how he feels. 
that chapter three is him pinning down on paper uh, how, th- how he is feeling and what he is going through. Now, I want you to look at your Bibles, and in those 18 verses, you're going to notice sections of three. So if your Bible is similar to mine, which most of you, yours will be, you'll see that there are these three verse sections. And it's very poetical in nature that if you knew the Hebrew language, I don't know it, but I read guys who do know the Hebrew language. Apparently, these 18 verses are very poetical in nature. And so these, they have these stanzas. They have these sections in three verse increments. Does that make sense? So if you look at verses one through three, that's a section. Verses four through six, and they all have a main idea in those sections. You see, Jeremiah is communicating himself through this poetical nature. Does that make sense? So what I wanna do very quickly, I'm gonna go through the stanzas, the sections, and I'm gonna summarize for you what Jeremiah is saying, okay? So you just really wanna listen. You can look through those verses. But for the sake of time, I'm gonna summarize. So verses one through three. If I could summarize those through through the voice of Jeremiah, he would be, be saying something along these lines. I have seen so much suffering and darkness, it seems that God is against me. Have you ever felt like that before? Have you ever felt like God is against you? Well, for Jeremiah, he felt like that. Verses four through six, the next section, Jeremiah would say, summarize, it would be summarized like this. I have experienced absolute brokenness and my life is bitter. Do you know what the word bitter means? Right? Think, about, uh, think about some kale. If you, have some, if you just ate some straight up kale, that'd be bitter, right? Uh, or different foods that we eat. Well, he would describe his life as bitter. Okay, everyone make, if, if you were eating something bitter, what kind of face would you make? Come on, I want to see. Yeah, there you go. Leanne's got a good one. Bitter, right? And this, this would be described as not just a moment of eating kale, but the, his entire life, absolute brokenness and bitterness. That bitterness. So he's bitter in life. Have you ever felt like that before? Have you ever felt bitter? Verses seven through nine, the next section, he would say something along the lines of, there is no escape. I feel weighed down and chained. It seems God is not hearing my prayers. Have you ever felt like that before? Have you ever felt like your prayers are just empty, that they hit the ceiling and come down and God never hears them. Well, Jeremiah certainly felt like this. Verse 10 through 12, he would say something along the lines of, this has come out of nowhere and I feel like I am the target of God's anger. Have you ever felt like that? Verses 13 through 15, he would say something along the lines of, I am being ridiculed and taunted by my own people. Have you ever experienced that? Have you ever experienced ridicule and 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 being made fun of by those closest to you? Well, this is what Jeremiah was experiencing. And then finally, verses 16 through 18, he describes that he has no peace. He would describe in those verses that he has actually forgotten what it was like to be doing good. You know how we ask each other, hey, how are you doing? Oh, good. He, he said he forgot what that was like. He finally gets this point and look at verse 18, the very last part. Verse 18, he says, and I said, my strength and my hope have perished from the Lord. And that summarizes how Jeremiah is feeling. That's the state in which we find him. He would say, I once had strength and hope, and now I feel weak and in despair, hopeless. Have you ever felt like that? Maybe you haven't experienced something that drastic. Maybe, maybe it's been even worse for you than that, that you say, no, I have different language to describe how I'm feeling or have felt. What does this all mean? What, what is, 
when, in moments of life like this, of feeling like my prayers aren't being heard, of feeling like it's like God is angry with my life, it's like I'm being punished, that I'm being ridiculed by those closest to me, that I have no peace and no goodness. Does it mean that God is dead? Does it mean that God is not real? Does it mean that God is an evil God and not a good God? Well, it doesn't mean any of those things. And we're gonna see a shift in Jeremiah's thinking, okay? So you got that verse, first 18 verses are pretty dark. But then we see a shift and we see that shift start in verse 19, okay? We see that shift start in verse 19 through 21. You have your Bibles open still? Okay, check out verse 19. It says, remember my affliction and roaming, the wormwood and the gall. My soul still remembers and sinks within me. This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. Here we, we see the transition. You see, the whole book so far has been doom and gloom, but this is where we see a shift begin. You see, Jeremiah begins to pray. Notice, he says, remember my. You see, he's speaking to God. This is the shift where in those first 18 verses, he's just, he's just writing down how he's feeling. And then we come to verse 19 and he begins to speak to God. He says, remember my affliction and roaming. It's a suffering and what he's going through. Now, what I want you to write down is this, that honesty with God is the, always the first step towards him, okay? It's always the first step. And that's where Jeremiah, at first he's just kind of talking, but then he brings his conversation to the Lord. He says, remember, he, it means to, to the idea of, of looking down upon, look at my situation, look at my circumstances. You see, God can handle difficulty. He's God. Sometimes we think we have to act like everything's all right. No, if there's one person that we can be honest with, it's, it's the Lord. Now, that doesn't mean we lose respect for him. That doesn't mean we, you know, we begin to accuse him of things, but we can be honest. We say, God, it feels like you're not hearing my prayers. God, it feels like, it feels like you're upset with me and angry. God, I, this situation is insane. This is difficult. This is hard. God, I am going through it. And he says, my soul remembers and then sinks. That he's reflecting on what he has gone through and, and what's happening. And he says that his soul sinks. It means to uh, disintegrate away. The word describes decomposition or the decay of a body to dust. I want you to think about that. Okay? He says his soul sinks within him. It's the idea of a body that, that's, that's de it's kind of disgusting. It's decomposing. It's decaying. And he's saying that this is happening on the inside, that emotionally and spiritually that he is dying. You ever felt like that? You don't have to answer me. But I think, I think a lot of people feel like this. I think a lot of people live their life in a way that, that if they were to be honest with themselves is a sinking feeling, that they feel like they're wasting away. Well, for Jeremiah, this is how he felt. This would be the, the summary of, of how he's feeling. But then something happens. Check out verse 21. He says, this I recall to my mind. It means to remember, that he remembers something, that he reminds him of something. It's something intentional. You see, to recall something means to remember. Like, for example, uh, you guys know what a sketch artist is? 
right? If you were a witness to a crime and, and uh, you know, or something happened to you, or maybe you were the, the victim of a crime, and so you go down to the station, right, the police station, and uh, they have sketch artists there. At least they do on TV. I don't know if they, <laughs> they actually do. But, uh, and right, and you can begin to describe how that, how that person looked. Okay, well, they had, you know, uh, you know uh, brown hair. They had a narrow face. They were about six feet tall. And you are going back to your recollection. You're trying to remember. You're trying to recall what they looked like. And in a similar fashion, in this moment, there's something that, Jeremiah recalls to his memory. There's something that he remembers, and it's intentional. You see, people turn to all kinds of things in the midst of that sinking feeling. People turn to all kinds of things. For Jeremiah, he turns to the Lord, that he, he remembers something and what we're going to look at and the, and the bulk of what we're looking at. And he has hope. That's where he says, I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. Some people in, within that sinking feeling of life, uh, they turn to drugs, right? They turn to drinking. They turn to relationships, money, success, food, entertainment, anything to just get their mind off of the emptiness and the deadness that they feel inside. They turn on another show and another show. They eat something else. They have another drink. But the thing with those things that we try to fill or we try to uh, lift our spirits, we, we feel dead inside and we try to do other things. The thing with those things is that they're temporary, right? They don't last long. That as soon as the show is over, then you have, then you're left with you. At the end of the day, you lay your head down on the pillow, no matter how successful and how much money you have, and there's just you. But with the Lord, something different, there's hope. And so what does Jeremiah recall? What, what gives him this hope in the midst of the darkness? Well, this is, this is it. This is what we're looking at today, okay? The reminder. And the next three verses that we're looking at, verses 21, sorry, verses 22, 23, and we will look at 24. The, this is the, the golden, golden verses, right? These are the verses that you want to highlight and circle and, and underline that Jeremiah reminds himself of something. Look at verse 22. You guys still have your Bibles open? Tracking? Following? Okay, check out verse 22. It says, through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed. Because his compassions fail not, they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in him. So notice this. I'm going to walk you through this, okay? Look at verse 22. He says, through the Lord's mercies. When the Bible says the Lord's mercies, it's kind of like, hey, wait, what does that actually mean? I kind of know what mercy means. Okay, think about it in this way. When the Bible says the Lord's mercies, it's his loyal love. It's his unending love. It's his unfailing and constant love towards you. It says, basically, through the Lord's unending, unfailing loyal, constant love towards you, you're not consumed. Okay, that's what Jeremiah is thinking about. He's saying, because of God's true and genuine love for me that does ha literally has no end, I am not consumed. The word consumed, it means to have an end. Think about it like uh, for you guys for New Year's Eve. Uh, if there was any apple cider, you guys consumed it all, right? That stuff goes so quickly. 
You, you have a bottle and you like pour you know, one cup and then there's only like a little bit left, right? You consume it so quickly. Well, that same kind of word to consume, the Bible says that through his love, we are not consumed, meaning there is no end. That as a believer and a follower of Jesus, even in the darkest and difficult times, we must remember that there is no end. That because God's love is unending towards us, then we have no end. His love never ceases. His love never fails. You see, for some of us, this can become so mundane. It can become routine. Oh yeah, God loves me. No, no. God has an unending, unfailing, never changing, never ceasing love towards you. And it is through that love that no matter what you're going through, you actually don't have an end. You see, people look at death as the end, right? But literally for the believer, the death is just a new beginning for us. It's a graduation. It's awesome. Damien, do you have a question? Yeah, God, right, it's God's love. It's altogether different. And it is through this love of God that you and I are not consumed. And this is what Jeremiah is reminding himself of. And then look at verse 23. He says, his compassions, they fail not, or they don't fail. They are new every morning. What does the word compassion mean? Someone, someone give me a quick definition. Yeah, Emma. Kind, okay, to be kind. Damien? What was that? A light for? Okay, to be nice, okay. Yeah. Yeah, to care for someone, right? To have compassion, always think about it as care plus action, okay? Like the Good Samaritan, that he had, the Bible says he had compassion on the man who, right, was robbed and beaten. And so that's why he did something. It's not just like, oh, I'm, I, feel, I feel for you, but it's, I feel for you and I'm going to do something about it. That is God's compassion towards us. It is a deep awareness of someone's pain. Everyone look at me. I want you to know that whatever pains and difficulties that you might be going through or will go through, God is all knowing of them. And not just like, oh, he knows them. No, the Bible says that he is acquainted with our ways. Go read Psalm 139. It's amazing that God is aware of our thoughts before we even think them. And he is aware of it in the way that he cares about it. Think about that, that God cares how you feel. Now, that doesn't mean he's gonna like, change the universe to make you make sure that you feel good. He cares about your holiness more than your feelings. However, he cares about your feelings. He sees when you're down. He sees when you're having difficulty and struggle and he is aware of it and he knows and he has compassion, right? Hebrews 4 tells us that you and I have a high priest in the heavens that isn't unaware of us, but he can sympathize. He can empathize with us because he was one of us. And even now, God's compassions, notice, they fail not, meaning that they never run dry. And that is described, that, that his compassion, this, this care and action that God has for us, this desire to meet us, that they are new every morning, that there is a daily renewal to this compassion. God would say to us every morning that there is still more. He would say to us, I have more for you. He would say to us, I love you with an unfailing, unending love. No matter what happened yesterday, no matter what happened last year, that today in Jesus, as a believer, as a follower, that you have access 
to new mercy. Now, when you think of the word new, when it says his compassions are new every morning, okay, don't think about the new as in altogether uh, never existed before. The idea is that it is a renewed, it is a renewal of what you and I have experienced before. Now, you might have experienced God's love and compassion yesterday and today, but tomorrow there is a freshness to it. There is a renewal to it. Think about, think about the freshness and newness that a morning brings, that a morning brings, right? That when you walk outside and, and breathe, there's a crispness to the air. It's not that there wasn't a morning the day before. It's that this is a new one. It's that it is a renewed one, right? It, it is... It is something that happens every day, constantly and consistently, yet fresh. Think about, uh, do you guys know about manna in the Bible? I can't wait to eat manna. I don't know why. They say, they say it's in heaven because it's angels' food. That's what, not like angels' cake, but apparently angels eat manna in heaven, and I will be joining them. It's probably not very good. It probably tastes like a saltine cracker. But if you don't know about manna, in the Old Testament, when the Israelites were wandering as a punishment through the desert for 40 years, it was pretty cool that they'd wake up in the morning, they'd come out, and rather than like wet dew on the, on the ground, like, you know, you walk outside, there's, you know, the ground's wet, you know what I'm talking about? Okay, instead of that would be left a layer of this thing called manna. It was like a cracker. Um, and, it, you know, it had some sweetness to it, it had some different spices already in it. Uh, they would take it and they would harvest enough for that day, which harvesting just means they would you pick it up and put it in a bowl, I guess. Uh, they would sometimes crush it up, make flour. But the thing with manna that God provided for them, it only lasted a day. You couldn't, other than the Sabbath day, you couldn't be like, oh, I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna go harvest a lot of this manna and then, and then next week I won't have to because it would go bad. It was a daily thing. There was a freshness about it and it communicated to the children of Israel God's daily provision compassion and care, even for their physical hunger. You know, God cares about that. God cares about every aspect of your life. And this concept, this concept that you and I can wake up tomorrow, that even heck right now, the, the idea of it being new every morning is that it's always refreshing. God's not like, oh, you know what? I loved you yesterday pretty good. And I'm a little tired of you today. So come back to me next week and we'll see if like the if my compassions are renewed by then. No, it, it's daily. It's, it's momentary. That the idea is that we can come to him any time. That his love and his compassion towards us is something altogether unique. Now, I want you to notice, look at the end of verse 23. That he says these things, right? He's, okay, he's reminding himself that it is through God's love his mercies and his compassions, they're new. That even though this is dark and difficult, God is still good. God is still love. God is still compassion. And this reminder for Jeremiah turns into a cry of praise. Look, it says, great is your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness. The Amplified Bible puts it like this. Great and beyond measure is your faithfulness. What does it mean when someone's faithful? If I say, if I describe someone, oh yeah, my friend, uh, I don't know, Bob, I don't know why Bob, we'll go with Bob. My friend Bob, he's super, he's a super faithful guy. What does that mean? Someone give me some other descriptive words. Damien. Helpful, Helpful okay. Yeah. 
Exactly. You can trust, right? He's trustworthy. He is reliable, right? If my friend is faithful, then, then he is dependable. And the Bible says that God's faithfulness is great beyond a measure, that God is dependable. God is trustworthy. It's not that we should just, oh, you, you need to trust God. It's that God is trustworthy to be trusted. He is faithful. He is dependable. He is sh- as sure as the sunrise every morning. God is waiting for you as you awake, as you live your life. God is ready to be there for you. He, is, he can be counted upon. He can be leaned upon. The Bible tells us in 2 Timothy 2.13 says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. The idea is that even if we stop trusting God, even if we started acting in a faithless way, we, st- we stopped trusting him. The Bible says that God's still gonna be faithful. Our actions and our failures don't change the nature of who God is. That's why, do you see the last line? It says he cannot deny himself. It means in his very nature, God is faithful, that he can't go against who he is. And so even when we don't deserve it, God's still faithful. Isn't that awesome? Can you get an amen from that? It's awesome. That's a sweet thing. And so in the midst of Jeremiah, remember, dying on the inside, his soul is sinking within him, that Jeremiah stops, he prays, and he remembers that even in the difficult things for those that follow the Lord, that God's love and compassion and faithfulness will uphold him. And that's an awesome thing. And so, and we see in verse 24, we see his response. And this is the last verse we're looking at today. We, we saw the reminder, right? He reminds himself. We saw that cry of praise, great is your faithfulness. But now Jeremiah starts to talk to himself. He says this in verse 24. He says, the Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in him. This is what I like to call a, a soul talk, okay? And Jeremiah starts talking to himself. You guys ever talk to yourself? Sometimes it's weird. Uh, sometimes it's a good thing. Sometimes we should talk to ourselves a little more, some uh, more uh, you know, intro, introspection of, of our own lives. Uh, but this is his response. Okay? This is Jer- Jeremiah's resolution, if you will. And this is what our resolution is to be. What verse 24 is, is I believe what for you and I as Christians, we don't, okay, I don't know what resolution to make. Well, we should make this one daily weekly, monthly, yearly, and it is to respond to the Lord in this way. The Lord is my portion, therefore I hope in him. There's two statements that are found here of Jeremiah's response. The first one, he says, the Lord is my portion. Hey, just like uh, maybe you ate some dinner last night or some breakfast this morning. Do you guys eat before you come to church, third service? So do you guys eat breakfast or do you eat lunch? All right, raise your hand if you eat breakfast before you come. Raise your hand if you eat lunch. All right, a couple, couple lunch people. Okay, imagine, you know, this morning, maybe, maybe it didn't happen, maybe you just had some cereal, but what if, what if dad or mom got up super early and they started making pancakes and anyone had pancakes this morning? What about bacon? Anyone have bacon? So imagine, okay, bacon, right? I could eat an entire pound of bacon and you're like, that's so much. It's actually not. 
It's actually not that much. It's like one pack. I could eat a whole pack of bacon. It's so good, right? But, but you're usually, like, it, you know how it takes a long time to make bacon? I don't know why I'm going into all this, but I have a point, I promise. You know, it takes a long time and it, like splatters everywhere. No one actually wants to make it. You should like put it in the oven or air fryer or something like that. But then at the end, you have a pile, but you're not gonna go over there and take that plate as your own as much as you want to. You're like, I don't need the pancakes. I don't need the eggs. I'll just have the bacon. As much as you want to do that, you're gonna take only a portion right? Because you got to leave a portion for mom and dad or else you get yelled at and all kinds of things, right? You have your portion of bacon, usually a couple, couple slices, hopefully, a couple strips. I don't know why slices. I, I mean, you do slice. It is a slice, but different conversation. But right, you have your portion. And, the, and what Jeremiah is saying here is saying, the Lord is my portion. Another way to say this is the Lord is all I want and all I need. You might want to write that down. That when he says the Lord is my portion, what he is saying is the Lord is all I want and the Lord is all I need. You know, it's interesting as you look at the Old Testament and you know how it took so long for the Israelites to get into the land of Israel, right? God promised it to them. They messed up. They had lack of faith. They had to wander through the wilderness. And then they come to this point where the Bible describes that, okay, finally they get into the land. They start taking over some of the nations of Canaan and, and start actually, okay, they, they start getting it. And so they start dividing up the land. Joshua is like, all right, Reuben, you get this area over by the sea. Uh, Issachar, you get over this, this area and so on and so forth. And he starts divvying up the land. Well, there's one tribe that gets no land of Israel. Does anyone know which tribe that was? Levi, you might know. No, I know you do. It's the tribe of Levi. Yeah, it's the tribe of Levi. The, the Levites were the priestly tribe. And what God had promised them in the Old Testament, they said, you, you don't get a portion of the land because I am your portion. And all the other tribes were jealous of that because it was God who would take care of them. They didn't get a certain land, but they would be provided by God over all the land. You see, when we meditate on the reality of who God is towards us, this brings a contentment where we, want no, we don't need anything else. It doesn't matter what situations in, is happening in life. It doesn't matter that at home my parents are getting divorced. It doesn't matter that my younger sister died of cancer. It doesn't, it's not that those things don't matter, but it's that inside all you need and all you want is the Lord. It's not that those things don't affect you and, it's, and there's not a place for grieving and mourning and difficulty, but that in the midst of those difficult things, which life will happen to you guys, it's that God is, it's that you're able to come to a place where you say, this is hard, but I have the Lord. And I don't know how people get through life otherwise. I don't know how people go through when family members, when they lose family members when difficult seasons of life come, you won't be able to get through it unless the Lord. And to come to this place, when we meditate on who God is, we can say, the Lord's my portion. God, you are all I want and you're all I need. And because of that, Jeremiah is able to say, therefore, because of these things, because of what I've been talking about, what I've been reminding myself of, I have this hope. But don't, don't think that this hope is just like, oh, I, I, I hope God comes through with me. No, what is being described here, and when he says, I hope, it's an action. You see, look at verse 21. He mentions the word hope. In verse 21, he says, I have hope. 
In verse 24, he says, I hope in him. Do you see the difference? You see, he moved from this having hope to specifically having hope in the Lord. It's saying, God, I'm going to trust you and wait on you. It's not just having hope, but it is in his action. It's putting your hope in the Lord. That's an awesome thing. Psalm 46, 10 says this, be still and know that I am God. You see, that doesn't mean that you're just supposed to like stand as really, you know, you go in your room and when you pray, you're just supposed to stand really still and just know, know that God is God. Okay, God, God's your God. No, that's not what it means. It's that as we live our life, it's that we, we can have a calm, we can have a peace, we can have a hope that God is our God, that God is on the throne, that, that because we are his, we are good. Does that make sense? And this is the conclusion that Jeremiah comes to. And guys, this is big. Okay, this, this is it. That no doubt you have people in your life that are going through difficulty. No doubt for some of you in this room, you would say, I am like Jeremiah in this sense. I feel like my prayers don't matter. I feel like I'm the ridicule among my family. That life is difficult, and I don't even know what it was like to have any peace. It's hard for me to sleep. The depression is overwhelming. The anxieties overtake me. Then this is for you. You need to remind yourself of these scriptures. This is a scripture that you turn to. Just as Jeremiah recalled this into his memory, and he reminded himself, not just, oh yeah, God is love. No, that God's love is what gets me through that God is faithful, that he is compassionate towards me and they are renewed every day. And when we come to points like this in Jeremiah, like, like Jeremiah in life, when we have lost strength and hope in God, we need to be honest with him. You can be honest with the Lord. He can take it, I promise. He's not gonna get scared and run away. He's gonna love you to the end, which is just awesome. You know, if you go back through and, and read through the, the first part of chapter three, I'd encourage you, you go home and read the whole book of Lamentations. It's a trip because it's so dark, so difficult to even read. You're like, man, this is depressing. Yes, but chapter three. Yes, but verses 22 through 24. This is a scripture I want you to hold on to for the rest of your life. There's some, you know, there's some scriptures that just, they just hit you differently. Some of you just woke up. And he's like, man, this is God's word to me. It's all God's word. But guys, these are verses that people have made songs into and they make songs into them for a reason. Have you guys ever heard of these verses before, reading them today? His mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Maybe, some, maybe you even have a sign. Your mom has like a sign at home or dad has a cheesy Christian t-shirt, whatever it might be. But those things become popular because they're good. And they're worthy of our meditation. Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed. Because his compassions fail not. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in him. So what is the Christian resolution? What, is the, what should be our fixed purpose and the determination of our mind? It should be that, God, you're, you're all I want and all I need. God, that you are faithful. 
to recall to our mind how loving and compassionate our God is to us, to realize that every morning for the Christian is a new one. Doesn't matter what happened yesterday. Doesn't matter what happened last year. God says, I'm ready. You want to move on? God's always a forward moving God. It's an awesome thing. To recognize how faithful he's been to us and will be to us and to call him ours no matter what. You guys can close your, your Bibles and put away your notebook paper. We're done for today, but I want to share with you uh, a quick story, and then we're going we're gonna to sing a song of worship. You know, like, like I mentioned, this, this portion of scripture has inspired many people throughout the centuries, and there's one guy I want to share with you uh, whose name is Thomas Chisholm. Everyone try to say that. Yeah, kind of different. Well, this guy was born in 1925. That's like 100 years ago, all right? And there was nothing too special about him. Uh, he was born in a log cabin in Franklin, Kentucky. Uh, he became a Christian when he was 37 years old, and he entered pastoral ministry when he was 36, but he only lasted a year because he had to step out of pastoral ministry because of health reasons, it forced him to retire even after one year. During the rest of his life, Thomas spent many years living in New Jersey and working as a life insurance agent. Nothing too crazy. Still, even with a desk job, uh, history tells us that he wrote nearly 1,200 poems throughout his life, including many published hymns. Thomas explained that towards the end of his life, quote, he said this, my income has not been large at any time due to my impaired health in the earlier years, which has followed me until now. Although I must not fail to record here the unfailing faithfulness of a promise-keeping God and that he has given me many wonderful displays of his providing care for which I am filled with astonishing gratefulness. You know, it's just, just to think that which, with each new day, God gives you and I the chance to prove his faithfulness. And throughout history, God has never been proven wrong. His mercies have always been new every morning. And it's just whether or not we're going to take advantage of that. Whether or not we're going to... Whether or not we're going to... You're good. Whether or not we're going to leave the past in the past, just like that big sound. Okay, we're going to leave that in the past. And this guy, Thomas Chisholm, this kind of, you know, not, not a big deal. He wrote this hymn. He didn't have this extraordinary life, but I have found that in the ordinary things of life, that's when God sometimes can be glorified most. And I just want to read you the first couple stanzas. Ho hopefully you know the song. Have you ever heard the song, Great Is Thy Faithfulness? It's a hymn, okay? It's, uh, which means it's a little older, it's, right? It's 100 years ago. They used some old English, so there's some kind of thys and thous and things like that. But listen to the words, okay? It says, Great is thy faithfulness, O God my Father, there is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not, thy compassions they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever wilt be. Great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. You can stand and let's pray and we're gonna sing that song. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your love. It's unending, unfailing, unceasing. We thank you for your compassions towards us, that you are not just a 
big God in the sky who doesn't care about the details, that you are close, that you are near, that you care about the details of our life and that you don't just have sympathy for us, but you have empathy, that you move on our behalf. And we thank you for your faithfulness, that you are dependable, that there's not a morning that we wake up where you're not there. There's not a night that we lay our head down on the pillow where you're not watching over our sleep. There's not a day that passes by that through school and work and friends and family and things that we do, there's not one day that happens that you're not there for us if we seek you. We thank you for the promise in your word that as we draw near to you, you draw near to us. That as we seek you with our whole heart, that we will be found by you. We pray you be glorified as we meditate and focus on your great faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen.